This is episode 17 of Refocused with Lindsay Gensel, and today we're diving into the connection between ADHD, struggles with transitions, and back to school. Welcome back. I'm Lindsay Gensel, and I happen to love back to school season. I mean, it has been a few years since I actually went back to school, but there's just something so wonderful and nostalgic about this time. The new folders, notebooks that have never been written in, planners to fill out with all of the assignments and exam dates. For some of us with ADHD, the newness is very, very wonderful. And it always felt like the opportunity for a fresh start, like all of my bad habits weren't going to make the trek to class on that first day. They would miss the bus or something, and the new and improved Lindsay would show up instead. Obviously, sitting here with lots of student loans and no college degree, I know that's not how any of it worked. Last week on episode 16, we looked at why transitions are such a problem for people with ADHD, and today we're going to look at back to school and what we can be doing to make these transitions easier for all the students in our lives, keeping in mind that even if you're not a student right now or you don't have a student in your house, there are so many opportunities to adapt these conversations for our own lives. Christina Consavalis is a licensed psychotherapist and a writer based in Southern California. She received her bachelor's and master's of social welfare from the University of California, Los Angeles, and her master's of library and information sciences from San Jose State. Her work focuses on treating and advocating for those with chronic illnesses like Lyme disease and physical, developmental, and age-related disabilities through her clinical practice Begin Within Today. She also recently published the Begin Within Daily Health Wellness Journals to help people document chronic illness and mental wellness. Christina is also the creator of Buen Camino, an award-winning publication that brings together her gluten-free, health-conscious lifestyle while also sharing her adventures traveling around the world. The most important thing I almost forgot to share about Christina, which is very ADHD of me, is that she also has ADHD. And I loved her willingness to share her expertise from her role as a psychotherapist, as well as her role as someone living with ADHD. And we'll get to my conversation with Christina in just a minute. But it wouldn't really be an episode of Refocus with Lindsay Gensel without bringing Keith Boswell, Boz, into the conversation. Boz is the Vice President of Marketing for ADHD Online. And I know it's been kind of a... uh, a stressful couple of weeks. I, sh- I shouldn't even say stressful. I don't know that it's been stressful. <laughs> I just know that your girls, your daughters have gone back to school and there's there's a lot that comes with that. And your girls are at an age where they're more independent. They want to do things on their own, but you're also their parents. And so it's it's probably a little bit of a give and take game, isn't it? It is. And I mean, this is the first year we've started school with both of them having jobs. And in typical ADHD fashion, we did the boot camp approach this year, which was like, we literally went from like, you know, summer to school, Sunday to Monday. 
and it's going great. It's it, but it is that back to school rush, and it's really it just reminds me we have to have a routine. These routines when we fall out of them, it's so easy in summer. Well, the thing that's funny is that it's not isolated to just kids going back to school. So I took on this project, this collaboration with you guys back in, you know, like we started in April, we launched in May and every week in therapy, my therapist brings up like, how are you with your new routine? Like, how is the day blocking going? Are you writing things your schedule down each day. And I was like, oh, yes, mm -hmm. I am totally. Like, I am, no, I'm not. You know, like, I don't want to just like completely bulldoze everything I've done this summer because the days that I've been able to have structure have been really awesome. And it was the other day I was at the Minnesota State Fair, which is like a holiday here. It's 12 days. It's, it's insane. It's big. Yes. But I was having a conversation with the group of friends that I was with all of whom, you know, had taken the Monday off of work. And I had worked over the weekend to kind of make up some of those hours. And I just was thinking to myself, like, maybe summer wasn't the best time to try and create a new routine. And then I, I found myself like saying the words out because the one thing that I've I've learned is I internalize so much. It's a part of my my inattentive ADHD. And I've learned that when I say things out loud in front of people I trust, I either get confirmation that what I'm thinking is accurate or I get great insight of stuff I hadn't thought about. And so I just said it out loud. I was like, yeah, maybe that wasn't the best idea. And they all kind of looked at me like, you think? <laughs> like, you, like, you're just realizing this? It's like August 29th and you're like, yeah, maybe summer is not the best time to start to have a routine. There's a power in that self-realization, isn't there? Like, oh, I can say this. I'm trying to do that more myself. I, I have really, really realized how many conversations were just going on with me and not involving anybody else. And the more I say, the more positive feedback. And it's not all like, oh, yeah, that's great. It's just like you said. It's people going, yeah, really. Like, It's those moments of self-reflection when the mirror doesn't feel so scary, I guess. So I'm going to put you on the spot. I want to know two things. I want to start with what you want to improve on when it comes to transitions and schedules and setting yourself up for success. Oh, man. Uh, that's a great question because for me, the biggest thing I need in this arena, and it's been a lifelong cliff for me, is that mindfulness in the moment that what I had planned in my head, it's okay if it changes. I mean, it's weird. I never realized why I like to be early to things. I was like almost the type where it was like I would get agitated about being late. You know, it was something, I don't know, someone had said to me early in my life, kind of stuck with me that you need to be early for things. You can't be late. I would just stress about these things in the moment. And so if I have something in mind, if I'm thinking this is happening, then this, then this, and suddenly it changes, old me would just get frustrated. But I also, I wouldn't say anything, right? I would just fester on it and kind of like keep to myself and, and have all those conversations rattling around in my head why I was upset about something, but I never did anything about it. Well, and to end on a positive note, what do you see that is something you do well at or an area where you feel like you're thriving when it comes to how we view 
our lives and our schedules and the transitions that come along with all of it. I think something I fall back on and, and maybe too often, but is humor. You know, I try to keep a positivity about it. I think as I'm learning more about myself and catching myself in these moments, rather than beat myself up, I try to laugh about it. And I try to say like, this is funny that you're catching yourself doing this and you're so frustrated and and this is what you exactly what you're saying you don't want to be doing. So like unwind from it. You know, I've always called myself like an optimistic pessimist. It's a weird point of view, but I prefer to be more positive even as I, you know, can deconstruct things. But that to me, having a sense of humor about it and and laughing at myself more is really helpful. And I will say as someone who gets to work with you, the empathy and the humor that you show other people, I'm really glad to know that you're working on showing it to yourself because it's actually one of my favorite parts of working with you is that right off the bat, it has just felt so easy and I've felt like I could come to you with anything. And these things that felt so just over the top, these monsters in my head that I, you know, the stories I was telling myself, I would come to you and you were just kind of like, it was always the best response. So I'm really, really happy to hear that that is something that you are sticking to and you're working on giving yourself more of, of that grace and that laughter. I appreciate that. I really do. One thing we do want to clue you into is we have some really exciting stuff down the pipeline for ADHD Awareness Month, which is coming in October. We are not prepared yet to kind of lay it all out there for you. But soon. The team at ADHD Online and I have been working very, very hard, and it is going to be an incredible October of 2022, and that will lead us right into November and the International Conference on ADHD is in Dallas. And Boz, as always, I'm so grateful for your candor and your honesty, and thank you for joining us. And I mean, we'll talk off the podcast soon, and we'll get things in order so we can tell people about all the awesome stuff that's coming. Absolutely. Can't wait. ADHD Online is a telemedicine healthcare company that specializes in diagnosing and treating ADHD through convenient and affordable assessments and personalized treatment plans, typically in just seven days. It's healthcare run by tech, not tech running healthcare. And that's an important distinction. It was started and is run by healthcare professionals who treat the whole person, from diagnosis to treatment to medication management and teletherapy. If you've been wondering if you have ADHD or perhaps you're seeing behaviors in someone you care about that have you questioning a connection, head on over to ADHDonline.com to find out more about their diagnostic process and how their team of healthcare professionals across the country can help you move forward in life with more answers and understanding. So I ask all of my guests to start by introducing themselves to the audience. Hello, my name is Christina Consavalos, and I am a licensed psychotherapist who is neurodivergent and focuses on chronic illnesses as well as developmental disabilities. 
I was very excited when we connected about this topic. So it's back to school. And I think what's really interesting about back to school time is that like I'm 36 years old. I'm not going back to school. But the start of the school year feels very new and like an opportunity to better yourself and kind of like this perfect time to reset and recharge. And I don't know. I almost feel like it's more inspirational than New Year's. I don't know why that is. Maybe I I live somewhere where there's four seasons. So we get fall weather and it's kind of like, it's just lovely. And with ADHD, it's not great for everybody. So I was super excited when you raised your hand and were like, I, I want to talk about this. So let's just start there. What is it about ADHD and the transitions and this strange little gray area period that you were very excited to uh, kind of come on and talk about? Yeah, I think uh, for ADHD, first of all, the fall falls always exciting for, for me too. There's just something that feels very renewed about it. And like you said, kind of a new start, it also represents change and progression and, and just moving forward, kind of like a, a new chapter, if you will. So, you know, ADHD is on a spectrum. And for some folks with ADHD, change can be exciting because it's almost this this release of dopamine and, oh gosh, what's what's on the other side? This could be really cool. And for others on the spectrum, it can be almost debilitating, really scary. Like I don't, you know, my, um, my schedule, my routine is about to change and that is quite upsetting to me. So I want to keep both of those in mind when we're, when we're thinking about, you know, going back to school and, and this essence of that. It is. And, you know, you, you've touched on it a little bit. You know, everyone's ADHD is so different. I mean, you could put 100 people in the room and, and be lucky to have some connections as far as like how people view certain things in life because it's just so different. And it's also so different depending on where you are in life. So let's start with children because back to school and, and going back to school and maybe you know you're neurodivergent. Maybe you are receiving some extra help in school. Maybe there's some insecurity that comes with that. But that's really a time in life where the parents are taking the lead on how these transitions are starting and how they're going. And I think it can be overwhelming for parents who have just never dealt with this before, whether their child has a new diagnosis or, you know, it's they're reevaluating what they've done in the past. So how do you view kind of this back to school with children and how parents should really be focusing in on it? Yeah. So first of all, I think it's wonderful if your child has recently received a diagnosis or if you're just sort of recalibrating. I think both of those things are exciting and and new and offer room for improvement. And what I suggest is creating a schedule that makes sense for everyone. Back to the fact that every person who is neurodivergent is different. And so their schedules may look different, but having a schedule laid out that your child can view, that everyone has access to, you know, and it can be as specific as, you know, waking up, at this time, eight o'clock, nine o'clock, whatever, 
taking a shower, getting dressed, brushing your teeth. We're eating breakfast at this time and just creating a, a daily schedule that that makes sense for them. And also keeping in mind when your child has higher energy um, and utilizing that to your benefit. Like I have found um, a lot of children have that energy come up at night. And I, I like to say, like, use that, you know, use that to your benefit, you know, pick out your outfits for the next day, make your lunch then take advantage of this energy because perhaps in the morning they feel really groggy and it's just tough. You know, if you're doing that at night, have the backpack next to the door, have everything just ready to go. So it feels as seamless as it possibly can. It's really interesting what you touched on there is, you know, the time suck or like the, the disappearance of time. I feel that as an adult, I wake up and I have what feels like all the time in the world. And then all of a sudden I'm still running late for whatever it is that's getting me out the door in the morning. But the routine of getting up and knowing the order of what you do things is so important for children. And it really kind of sets them off on the right foot. Definitely. And I think it's important to bring in some benefits to them doing it, like positive reinforcement. So, you know, if they've gone a week with, you know, following the schedule, maybe you get to take them to a special place to eat or miniature golfing. I mean, you get you get to decide. And if it's after a certain amount of months, maybe it's a even larger positive reinforcement. You know, those of us with ADHD, we are constantly chasing our dopamine. And so you gotta, you really, you gotta, and, and even for those of us as adults, like we almost have to dangle the carrot in front of our faces too, right? It's it's not just children. It's all, it's all of us. It's very funny because I get very excited, you know, later in life ADHD diagnosis and the more I'm learning about myself and little things that, a quote unquote normal person would just do because that's what they've been told to do and they understand the process and I do it and I like have to show everyone. I'm just like, I need you to acknowledge that I did this. And it makes me think, you know, a few months ago, I interviewed a couple of researchers from Florida International University who work specifically with children who have ADHD who are around the preschool age. And the big thing was positive reinforcement and just how important it is for establishing routines and helping children understand, you know, how they're supposed to go through the day. Because at that age, they haven't really, you know, clung on to body doubling yet. You know, I think for me as a high schooler, the only way I was as successful as I could be or as I was, was because I was just mimicking those people around me. And they haven't learned that yet, you know? No, 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 no. As parents, you're kind of laying out and setting up this foundation and, you know, a couple of other things. I think it's really important that parents create a relationship with the teachers or anyone else in the classroom so that you can, as a parent, explain what your child is like, what they're up to, what works for them, what doesn't. It's important because teachers, they can't assume and put uh, every student that's neurodivergent in a box because we're all so very different. And creating a study space at home is another tip I like to suggest to, to folks. So just a place where you know when you go there, that is where you're doing homework. This is this is the environment you've set up. And for some kids and adults, you know, um, we do really well with with noise and music and others need 
quiet space. So if noise is necessary, you know, getting a machine with white noise is helpful, but just creating that space and maybe having like a yoga ball they can bounce on for that sort of stimulation, just creating it to and customizing it to them and what they need. It sounds daunting, but it's also kind of the perfect time to experiment because your kids are so young and you don't necessarily know where they thrive yet. And they don't know where they thrive yet. You know, like I feel like I have days where I thrive in pure quiet. And then I have days where pure quiet is the most horrifying situation to be sitting in and trying to get work done. And so, you know, having those conversations with your children, you know, hindsight is so important as we learn more about ADHD and as more people get diagnosed later in life and they talk about their own experiences. And I look back and like, I was very much combo, very outgoing and loud. And all of my report cards told me, or, you know, told my parents, like, she talks a lot. She has a hard time raising her hand and waiting her turn. But I was very inattentive in the fact of like, I could not remember things to save my life. I could not get into routines, but I was also very sensitive. And I just assumed everyone felt that way. And I think what's so important for parents as they're learning more about their children, whether they're neurodiverse or not, is talking about feelings and talking about those moments where the one that stands out for me the most is kind of the idea of rejection sensitive dysphoria and how young I can go back to my childhood and like pinpoint where it was really starting and where the anxiety was coming from. And so having those moments of honest conversation with your children about what their body is supposed to feel like. And I think it's hard. I think sometimes parents assume their children will just come to them. But again, it's very clear with everything we know about ADHD is that like you don't know what you don't know. And for a child, you don't know that you're not supposed to be feeling that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amen. That's, that is, yeah, very, very well said. And it's not discussed enough. You know, we can set up all of these tips and tricks. However, feelings are just as important as these fundamentals, these physical fundamentals. And that may change from day to day, right? When it comes to ADHD, it's sometimes hour to hour, never mind day to day. So checking in, like you said, is vital. It is so important. It's so informative. And you can you can go from there. I also recommend just getting a journal and maybe documenting what is and isn't working. You know, we do we do really well with patterns. That's what I've observed, right? You know, we're folks of patterns, and uh, even those and patterns can change. I'm just saying, but uh, for the most part, we're folks of patterns. And so, just jotting down what has or hasn't worked is is also a game changer. It can be quite informative. I'm curious how your own ADHD journey has impacted kind of the way you view the work you're doing with people who also fall into that diagnosis. Yeah, I think um, I have such a blast. Most of my most of my clients are on the spectrum. Actually, I would say ninety percent, and uh, we have such a great time together because. I say like we have pinball machines for brains, <laughs> like we'll just go from one topic to the next and they can follow along and I can follow along back. And we just have such a blast in terms of our our dynamics. And 
being able to bring in a clinical and personal perspective, I have been told has been very cathartic and healing and has allowed my clients to feel less less alone, less alienated. Like, oh, I'm not the only one who processes information like this or thinks this way or or does this weird thing. Like, no, 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 we're all weirdos in a good way. And <laughs> um, we can use it to our advantage. We just have to we just have to tweak things here and there and that's okay. That's okay. We're all constantly learning. Oh gosh. Every day. Yeah. Every day. Every time I talk to somebody, I'm just like, oh, hmm. Yeah. One of the things with transitions is that I don't think we necessarily think about with ADHD is like you mentioned, we are seeking that dopamine rush. And a lot of times that means wanting to do the things that we want to do. And the unfortunate reality about school is that that is not always the case. And A lot of kids come home and the last thing they want to do, regardless of how great of a student they are or how engaged they are, is do homework. And so the transitions from kind of the fun to the less fun can be that phase where things get rocky. What do you recommend? And I feel like this is a conversation that is not just isolated to children in school. I feel like this is very much something that everyone who struggles with transitioning out of something that they enjoy into like we're adults. We have to get things done. There are, you know, like responsibilities. They're not as enjoyable. I don't want to do them, but I do have to do them. And so how do you bridge that gap? And and how do you do it in a way where it, it gets easier if that's possible? Yeah. So I'm I'm very pro time blocking and I'm very pro not postponing joy. And so If your child's coming home from school and needs, you know, doesn't want to go straight to homework, has a lot of pent up energy, if an hour is okay for them to go run around, play with their friends, do something creative, then I'm, I'm all about that because that's, that's getting them that, that dopamine that's getting, that's irrigating energy and emotions so that, you know, they can come back and focus. And then perhaps, again, having a time block for fun after they're done doing homework. You know, it's important to have time blocks for working and for studying and for getting ready and for chores, but we also need to time block fun and movement. It's it's imperative. And that goes for us as adults too. And how does movement play a role in that? Because you know, one of the things that I'm constantly working on is bringing people into the conversation who are working to add to the outdated stereotype of like this young boy bouncing off the walls. And like, it's not to erase that stereotype because that stereotype is there for a reason. Those people exist. But on the flip side, there's so much more to it. But physical movement plays a huge role in how our brains operate. And so where does that fit into kind of this routine? Yeah. So I always say it's important to irrigate emotions. Um, Physical activity has a plethora of benefits, right? It helps with our lymphatic system. It's helpful for our joints. It's great for our emotional and mental health. And that's, and that's where this comes in, right? I'm always like very pro obtaining neuro positive neurochemicals. So we're looking at like, endorphins for movement. Yes. So how can, how can we get that? So when we get those, we get those endorphins that 
helps with lowering our cortisol levels, our stress. So that way, when it is time to sit down and do work, we feel a lot calmer and better in doing it. Let's dive into irrigating your emotions because it feels like something that you probably say a lot. And if I were someone who came to see you, I would nod along and be like, yes, I totally understand what that means. But let's let's explain it. What is it? And, and when you say that, what are you trying to get across to your patients? So emotions are energy in motion. And when we dance, when we move intentionally, that really helps with moving your emotions, getting it out, having it leave the body. So I've noticed with folks I work with who are neurodivergent, like when we're processing something or there's something stressful, we'll start to move, we'll start to bounce, we'll start to shake. And often, you know, like they're, they'll say they're feeling better. I mean, I do it, I do it myself. So that's, that's how we're just, we're just processing emotions. We're letting it run through our bodies and out ideally. So you're saying when I am stressed out and angry and I'm really good at the slam balls at the gym, that there is a correlation between what I'm putting in and what is coming out. 100%. Yeah, I, I need a slam ball here. <laughs> they have their purpose, I will say. I don't always love doing them, but they definitely serve a purpose. They're, yeah, it's a great tool for, again, ir- just irrigating those emotions and what's coming up. So what haven't we talked about when we're talking about transitions and people with ADHD and how you kind of start to have these conversations with your patients and, you know, like building up their tools ahead of those moments? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think it's important for there to be some awareness to understand where your challenges are and where your strengths are and maximizing on those strengths. How do we, how do we work smarter, not harder for each individual person? And as I was saying earlier, you know, capitalizing on, on someone's energy levels, like some people are just do really well at night. Okay. Well, let's get all the stuff done at night. So then maybe you have that time to zone out during the day. And this is, of course, as an adult, not a not so much as a child going to school, but just really, really honing in on your child's challenges and their strengths and, and what works for them. And perhaps finding a therapist who specializes in this or a coach, or there might be someone at school, there's school social workers they might be able to point you in the right direction. Like I want to say to parents, like you are not alone in this. And there are some really great, you know, resources. There's groups out there to make sure that you're also taking care of yourself while you're taking care of your child, because that's really important too, that your nervous system feels regulated because it's so easy for it to feel dysregulated when your child's upset or having challenges. Well, and we do know the, you know, genetic connection between parents and children who have ADHD And I've heard so many stories, mostly from women who were not diagnosed or weren't even considering it until after their children were diagnosed. And so then you're talking about two people with ADHD who are trying to figure out a routine. And I'm sure it can just be overwhelming. And I'm I'm sure from the parental side, you know, you're a parent, you have ADHD, you're trying to keep it together and be the best person you can be. And at the same time, you're trying to pass that along to your child and like 
the guilt and the sadness and the shame. I mean, my mom doesn't have ADHD, but when I was diagnosed, it was like we were working through some stuff with her and it was like, I'm good. You know, like you didn't do this. Like this is just life, you know, but I think it's hard as parents for them to separate themselves from that. Definitely. And it, this isn't, this isn't your fault. And I always say, I'm like, this is, look at this as just a different way of thinking and doing things and processing information. I, I say that it's my superpower. Folks I know who are on the spectrum are some of the most brilliant, creative, wonderful humans. And, you know, they don't exactly fit in a box and that's okay. And, you know, like we're just, again, it's back to, it's back to what we were saying earlier. You know, the, the more I, you know, the more I learn, the less I know, like we're just, we're all learning together every single day. And it's, it's important to have self-compassion around that. No one's going to be a perfect child. No one's going to be a perfect parent. And that's okay. We're not meant to be perfect. We're just meant to learn and grow as best as we possibly can with the information we have available to us. You mentioned taking advantage of times throughout the day where you have energy or you are, you know, are like, get these great little like moments of clarity. It reminds me of, I do a lot of meal prepping and planning and people always reach out for like meal ideas and stuff. And I'm always like, eat what you want. This like, like breakfast food, like that idea of breakfast food and like what you're allowed to eat in the morning, that was established by people who like probably don't live on earth any longer. Like they're not alive anymore. And I think it's so easy to just assume like what has been set up before us is what we're supposed to follow. And obviously we know that our ADHD brains were not meant to be successful in this world. Like there's just so much that is set up in a way that is difficult for us. And whether that's what you eat for breakfast or when you do your work, you know, like life eight to five, it's not the only option. No, no, it's not. It's not. There are alternative options. There's alternative schools you can go to. I didn't I found a, char- a hybrid charter school, unfortunately, not until I was in high school, but oh my God, that would have been so great for me at a young age. I didn't do well with the eight to three structure. I didn't thrive in that environment. But when you, when you gave me, a, you know, they gave me a laptop and said, you know, this is, you're going to online school and you have some classes in person, I thrived because it was on my schedule and I had those, those times to... To, to move around, to irrigate my emotions, to follow my joy, to follow my dopamine, and then and then get serious with what I was doing. But that's just me, right? Every single person is, it's so individual. And it's just important to remember that whether you have a child with ADHD or if you have ADHD. And it's checking in with yourself. You know, like what you mentioned earlier, like checking in with your child. How are they feeling about things? Well, how are you feeling about things? How does this feel in your body? How does this make your nervous system feel? Does this is this calming or is this of ease or does this feel of dis-ease? Yes, all of those things. And I'm I'm so happy that we are having more of these conversations and that, you know, I think back on times as a child that felt very tough for me and I just thought that was what you dealt with. And I don't think I ever even opened up to anyone about it. And so to know that like we're setting up this next generation to have so many outlets to learn about themselves. It's 
it's such a huge relief because I think all of us who were in those moments, like you mentioned, like you didn't thrive in the eight to three school setup, but you didn't know that. It wasn't until you went to a different school that you realized like, this is where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. And those of us who weren't diagnosed when we were children, because, you know, females present totally different than males, not always, but a lot of the times, you know, we don't have the quote unquote hyperactivity. You know, it it was hard for, for teachers to know. I mean, how could they know we were struggling, right? They didn't, they didn't even know this really existed to the to the extent that it does now. And so, yes, these conversations are vital. These This dialogue needs to happen because it's going to normalize what so many people are experiencing and perhaps haven't even been diagnosed with or who have been diagnosed and, and didn't realize that, you know, other people are experiencing things just like this. Well, I love that I get to talk to you because not only are you experienced working with people as you know, a therapist, but you also have ADHDs. And you've mentioned that you look at it as kind of your superpower, that so much of what you've wanted to do in life has benefited from it. So let's talk about that for a second, because I think it's really great for other people to hear these stories, because what you view as your superpower might be something that someone is sitting there going, this is terrible this is holding me back, you know, and I think when you just change how you look at it, and sometimes that does mean changing how you look at it, but also changing what you're doing around it, you know, like, is this feeling that way because of something else? So I I would just be really curious to know when you look at your life and your ADHD, what are those things that stand out as just like, this is amazing? Yeah. For example, I'm able to do what seems like a million things at once. And <laughs> I, you know, I, but I'll, I hyper-focus, I, I hyper-focus on just one. So I think one of the, one of the big things that, you know, they put us down for is not being able to focus on anything like, oh, you have ADHD, Oof, can't focus on it. No, I can hyper-focus on anything I am very interested in. And also I've, I'm a creative person. So I've done random creative things my whole life. And I noticed that folks not on the spectrum aren't able to, to hyper-focus, maybe aren't nearly as creative, can't follow all the conversations happening. I mean, I can be in a in a group and there could be like four conversations going at once and I can tell you the gist of what's going on until I zone. If I'm not uninterested, of course I'll, I'll zone out <laughs> like we all do. So I find it fun. I think it makes us dynamic and interesting and we can tell you about subjects that we are so very fascinated by and interested by and we go we go deep like when we're when we're into something we dive into the deep end we don't we're not hanging out in the in the shallow end of the pool and i also notice that in general when it comes to conversations we go into the deep end like we're not here to talk about the weather like when you meet someone who's on the spectrum like you know you're going to have a good conversation about something, whatever it is, especially if you guys have something in common. Oh, yeah. The the number of times I end a conversation with someone who I've never met and I'm like, I think we just became best friends. Like, should we measure for bracelets? <laughs> I would be curious to know 
if there's anything that you look at that you've had to work through some feelings on about negativity, you know, because I think it's really easy to talk about the positive stuff and to be excited about all the opportunities that are presented because you have ADHD and you can kind of see the world in a different view. But for a lot of people, that means working through some things that aren't fun and don't make you feel good. And again, going back to how society is set up, we're meant to think that because we don't fall into that small box that nothing good will come our way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've had some, I don't want to pretend that ADHD is all rainbows and butterflies in a world that's not set up for us. I have had so many challenges before knowing I had, especially before knowing I had ADHD, that could be, you know, issues in the classroom. I was like you, I was hyperverbal. I wanted to talk to everyone about, you know, everything because I wasn't interested in the subject being presented to me. I mean, that was, that was it. I'd get in trouble time and time again for that. And teachers weren't working with me on my strengths. They were very focused on my challenges, which wasn't going to help me thrive as a student. And even in work environments, I've had, I've been working since I was 14 years old and it's great in the sense that I've gotten to try out so many different types of jobs and see how I work, see how I do. What I've learned is that I cannot work with or work for someone else. It took me a long time to realize that. So, uh, (laughs) and you know, I'd get in trouble for the strangest things I felt like sometimes, or I wasn't understood or if I was passionate about something, it wasn't taken seriously. And I felt hurt by that. I think even like organized sports, dancing, my the way I process information isn't isn't the same. So like it, you know, for for dance, for example, it's difficult for me to understand uh, like the routine. My brain just didn't process information like that. So I didn't make certain teams because I wasn't I didn't have that great of hand eye coordination. And again, it's it's back to how my brain processes information. So yeah, I've. I've had, I've had my challenges and I've felt very hurt by not being able to not just not be accepted into certain groups or certain situations, but feeling like I cannot acclimate to them because it's not set up for me. Right. It's like being, you know, being right-handed and having to use left-handed scissors. That's how most my life has sort of felt. And I think a lot of folks on the spectrum can resonate with that. These these situations that have been challenging, hard, um, have left me feeling kind of down, depressed. In every single one of those situations, like I was able to use that as information of what I don't want to do. <laughs> like I don't want to continue, you know, working like this. I don't want to be in this situation. I don't want to hang around these types of people. I don't want to do this sort of activity and finding other activities, other jobs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that I am able to feel like my authentic self in and feel accepted by. I just, everything you said, especially about the jobs, you know, that has been the biggest struggle in my life. I'm someone who's incredibly career-driven and I could not understand for the life of me why I couldn't fit in anywhere. And it wasn't lack of trying. It wasn't – it was probably, if anything, too much trying. You know, you're just kind of like constantly working to 
get people to accept you and it's exhausting and you can't figure out why certain people connect with you and just that energy they give to you and you're like, this is what I want around me all the time and why is it not working here? And I love that you acknowledge that you know now that you can't work for somebody. And I spent so many years building someone else's dream and I couldn't figure out why it wasn't fulfilling me. And it was like, I know I meant for more, but I'm terrified of it. And it's like, I kind of felt like I was supposed to just pay my dues and go that route as as a producer and as a, you know, working my way up the media ladder and I would get my opportunity as it came down. But it came with all of these scenarios where I felt awful about myself. And it's so defeating. It can be so defeating. And it's also, I think, so hard to explain to somebody who doesn't know how that feels. Like, I can say to people, like, I can walk into a room and feel like not one person wants me there. And I am manifesting stories in my head and I will spiral for days over it. And they're like, wait, what? And you're like, oh, yes. Have I not told you about the stories that I tell myself in my head? Like, this is a really fun one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We just ruminate for hours and days, sometimes weeks. (laughs) And I will say, I didn't know what ruminating was until I was diagnosed. And the first time I heard it, I was like, oh, that makes complete and total sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been so lovely. I... I'm so appreciative of you sharing not only your expertise in talking about ADHD and transitions and providing some really awesome tips and ideas for parents and students and even just adults with ADHD who maybe are starting a new job or are looking at the school year as like their opportunity to to reset. I would like to end this by asking you, what is making you excited about the future right now? Like what is your motivation? Where are you thriving? When you look ahead, where is the spark coming from? Oh, um, right now I'm creating, I'm creating an app out of my journal and I think it's going to be really impactful and helpful to any folks with chronic illness or mental illness or who are just trying to track their health. And I don't know, I'm, I'm very, I'm very excited for that. Um, yeah, I'm also I'm also just feeling I'm just feeling hopeful in general and yeah, yeah, I'm I'm hoping to plan trips in the near future. So that gets me just the thought of that gets me excited. The visualizations offer me that serotonin and dopamine that I'm always after. Yeah, thanks for that. That's a great question. Well, I I know about your journals, but explain a little bit about what they are and what you created them for. Sure. Uh, I was couch bound due to Lyme disease and needed a way to track my health on a regular basis. And I had I had read about the the mind body connection, how fierce it is, and how journaling is a great mind body tool. In that, it's not just helpful for our mental health; it actually um, helps speed up the healing process in the physical body. So it does both of those things. But when you're when you're feeling fatigued and exhausted and, and defeated, uh, the last thing you want to do is write sentences upon sentences. So I created a sort of like a bullet journal, a wellness bullet journal. And uh, at that time, there wasn't one that combined the mind, the body and the spirit. Everything was very separated. I actually had no intention of creating a journal. I was very sick. 
but I, I started cr- just writing prompts for myself. And then as I did it, I noticed that I was, you know, getting better. I was noticing things I wouldn't have noticed had I not written them down um, in terms of like energy level increases, even if it was like by 0.5%. Like healing's not linear, but you know, there was a positive trajectory I was witnessing within my journal. And I was just feeling better after each time I did it, which is why I decided, okay, you know, this has been so helpful for me. I take it to my doctor's offices and my therapist and hey, like look what I've come up with. And it was it was really helpful. So I decided, it took me a while, but I decided to publish it. And um, I'm very excited because it's that's what's being turned into an app at this time. And you'll get to share your data in real time with your providers or anyone you wish. That sounds fantastic. And what a... What an amazing example of taking kind of a dark time in your life. Like you said, you weren't planning on creating this. It was just like what you needed to do to take care of yourself and to be brave and vulnerable to put that out into the world. Like that's really awesome. Thank you. That's so awesome for you to say. Yeah, I believe in, you know, post-traumatic growth and this is, you know, anyone anyone who's who's here right now listening has experienced post-traumatic growth. Like you survived your hardest days and I am so proud of you. And thank you so much for creating a platform like this to have this dialogue and discuss these things. It's amazing. Well, I've been having them in my head for many years and I figured it was about time I brought somebody else into the conversation. I love it. I love it. I feel honored. Thank you. Well, Christina, thank you so much. And I, I hope we get to have more chats. And, and the second the app is up, like, come back. Let's talk about it. You know, we'll run through it. But it was such a pleasure. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you so much. Refocus with Lindsay Gensel is a collaboration between me, Lindsay Gensel, and ADHD Online, a telemedicine healthcare leader offering affordable and accessible ADHD assessments, medication management, and teletherapy. You can find out more by visiting ADHDonline.com. A giant thank you to Christina Gonzalez for sharing her insight and expertise with us. Make sure to check out her website and social media. I've included all of those links in the show notes. And as always, thanks to Keith Boswell for continuing to allow me to reserve time on his calendar week after week. The show's music was created by Lewis Inglis, a songwriter and composer based out of Perth, Australia, who was diagnosed with ADHD in 2020 at the age of 39. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you're listening now. Share a favorite episode with a friend and join us next week for another episode of Refocus with Lindsay Gensel. Thank you.